Good day and welcome to another edition of Cross Faith Ministries Bible Study. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John. Today we'll be starting a new chapter. John chapter 8, we'll be covering verses 1 through 11. And the title of today's message is that Jesus forgives an adulterous woman. So let's go back from to last week and let's sort of review last week and the previous weeks before on what was going on in the Gospel of John in chapter 7. Last week we seen that it was the last day of the festival. And the festival I'm talking about is the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Trumpets. And it was the last day. We, we had said in the Bible, they had said it was called the greatest day, right? Now, why do the Jews call it the greatest day? Well, if you remember in last week's lesson, the priest would go to a well and he would draw water from that well and he would send a prayer to God and for the nation of Israel that God would send rain to the nation of Israel, right? Because remember, this was a tradition that was passed down from one generation to the next. But, but we saw how God used this tradition in order to show the crowds, especially the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who Jesus really is, right? And, and, and meaning that he was God in the flesh, that he was God among them, right? Now, remember, there's a season that begins called Passover, right? And from this point on, the Feast of Trumpets all the way, right? through Passover, from Passover to, to the summer, to the fall, there's very little rain to, to, to no rain at all, right? From Passover until the Feast of Trumpets. So what they would do in this last day, they would say a prayer up to God so they can have rain right after the Passover because there's a season of about six, six to seven months where there's no rain to hardly any rain at all. So they would pray for rain because remember, without rain, this is the season for crops. Their crops die, see? Rain represents what? Water. Water represents what in the Bible? Blessings, right? And life. So they needed rain in order for their crops to grow. So we see that before this priest, right before this priest stands up to say the prayer to God, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, he says, right? And he goes on to say, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, he said that rivers of living water will flow through them. Now, what he means by that is the spirit, right? See, those who believed in him, because he had a group of followers that followed him everywhere. A lot of, most of that group, that followed. Some didn't believe, but, but most did. And, and he's saying here that once I die, once I get crucified, right? Once I raise from the dead, right? And after the ascension into the Father, that's when the Holy Spirit will be released and that Holy Spirit will be among you. That's what he means by this. He's meaning his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And you can say the ascension. See, Jesus... Right here, once again, he's talking about his divinity, right? And, and, and the Bible told us that the Pharisees, they understood this, right? And they said blasphemy. 
and they sent for the temple guards to come and arrest Jesus. But the Bible told us that God once again protected him, right? Because it wasn't his time yet to die. We also seen in last week's lesson that the people are confused about Jesus being the Messiah, right? Because they were misled by the Pharisees because of the Pharisees' teachings. The Pharisees wasn't teaching the truth. They wasn't teaching from the Torah. They were teaching what? From the oral law, from the traditions of the elders, their man-made laws. So we see that the Pharisees sent for the temple guards. But the temple guards, when they go to arrest Jesus, they, they don't because God protects them. But you see, some of these temple guards, when they go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, they asked, where, where is he? And, and they said, we, no one has ever spoke like this man before, right? See, some of these temple guards believed that he was the Messiah. They believed in Jesus. And we also saw in the last statement that, that they say that there's no prophet that comes from Galilee. Right? Remember, Nicodemus was questioning them, right? And Nicodemus was coming to the defense of Jesus. And they say, are you too from Galilee? Meaning you must be a follower too, right? You must believe him too. He says, and the Pharisees say, go look, because no prophet has ever come from Galilee. But we know that's not true, because you see, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament tells us that there's going to be a bright light that's going to shine in the darkness. And that's speaking about Jesus, because Jesus' ministry started at Capernaum. Where's Capernaum? In the Galilee. So Jesus' ministry begins in the Galilee. The old prophets pointed to that, right? But, but the Pharisees, for whatever reason, whether they were lying, maybe they were misleading people, right? They're wrong when they say no prophet has ever come out of the Galilee. Because we know that this is where our Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, this is where his ministry started, just like the prophet Isaiah had said, right? So this week, what we're going to see is the Pharisees, right? Once again, the religious leaders, they bring a woman that was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And they bring her to Jesus because they want Jesus' opinion. See, they're hoping that they can entrap him in whatever he said and they can turn it around on him so they can have him arrested. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And verse 1 says this, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time. The older ones first, until it was only Jesus left with this woman. And Jesus stood up and he asked this woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No, Lord, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, going back to verse 1, it starts off with this word, but. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, what this word means in the biblical language, but, it shows a difference. You can say it shows a dichotomy, right? Something that is unusual, something that is in conflict to what was previously stated. So what we see here, after Jesus stands up, right? And, and he says, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink of me. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, living waters will flow through them, right? And after the, after the Pharisees called for the temple guards, and just what we discussed, right? Now we see that Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, right? Now it's very important, the Mount of Olives, because Jesus went there often to spend time with his father. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this has spiritual ramifications, you can say, right? Well, what I mean by that is this, right? If you read the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, in chapter 14, the Mount of Olives plays a very, very significant role, especially in the end times, right? Now, why is that? Because that's when Jesus comes back to wage war on the evilness of this world. That's when Jesus comes back, not as a savior, this is what he came the first time for, right? Was to save, was to redeem, was to heal. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming back with the saints. He's coming back with the church. He's coming back with believers. And he's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back as the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he's going to do away with all evil in this world. And the Bible tells us, right? That there's going to be some type of earthquake, some type of shakening where that Mount of Olives will split in half. Now, what's, what's, what's significant about that is if, if you look geologically today, there's a fault line that runs directly under the Mount of Olives, right? It's a slip fault. So what the Bible predicted is going to happen. And that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that that, that Mount of Olives splits in half and it forms a valley. And that valley is going to usher in that thousand-year reign on this earth, that millennial reign. So Jesus is coming back. And where is he coming back? He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives to do away with all evil in this world and to set up his millennial kingdom, which will eventually turn in to the kingdom of God when that new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. Amen? Verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So we see he's on the Mount of Olives, but at dawn he's back in the temple, right? Now, the scripture tells us here all the people gathered around him, right? This means all the people that want to hear his message, that want to hear him teach, that want to hear him preach on the kingdom of God, on the kingdom of heaven. Now, while Jesus was teaching, right, to all these people, these people that really wanted to hear the, the, the message, 
The religious leaders are nowhere to be found, right? Because you're going to see in the next verse, they come in and they interrupt his teaching. So we see here that the religious leaders really didn't understand Jesus is revelation, right? For whatever reason. Now, why do I say that? Because look at verse 3. Now, this just proves that they weren't interested in the truth of God. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. See, Jesus is the life. But, but they're nowhere to be found. See, these leaders, instead of, of really wanting to learn the truth, really wanting to learn what Jesus was teaching, they're not really interested in the kingdom of heaven. They're not interested really in the kingdom of God. What they're interested in? Well, you just look at verse 3. They were looking to condemn, right? And this is exactly what they did. Verse 3 says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. Now remember, when the scripture focuses in on a woman or women, biblically speaking, this has something to do with redemption. So we see here that the scribes and the Pharisees, right, two different groups, they, they, they catch this woman in the act of adultery, right? They're trying to condemn her, right? Now remember, these two groups, the scribes and the Pharisees, they understood the Torah. The, the scribes did. Now the scribes didn't study the prophets. They didn't believe in that. But the Pharisees did. But, and they, they hated each other. They really didn't get along, these two groups. But here, they're teaming up together. And, and they're coming for one reason. And that reason is, is to entrap Jesus, to get him to say something that goes against the Torah or goes against what they call their oral law, the traditions of the elders, right? Now, if you remember, many, many people, right, in these two groups, we talked about this a few months ago, were on the, the seats of the Sanhedrin. Now, what's the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is sort of like our Supreme Court today, right? It's the law of the land, you can say. So some scribes and some Pharisees who's in this group right here with this woman that was caught in the act of adultery, they bring her to Jesus. Now, they could have went straight to court, but, but they didn't do that because they're, that's not the reason. They're not worried about this woman. They're really worried about entrapping Jesus. So the scripture tells us that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And this woman was taken straight to Jesus by these two groups. Look what they say. The scripture tells us they made her stand before the group. Now remember, Jesus is teaching in front of crowds, right? So they make this woman stand, right? Right in front of the crowds, right next to Jesus. And they say in verse 4 to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now look what they say, teacher. This is a form of flattery. It's a form of mocking Jesus. Now why do I say this? Because they, they really had a conflict with Jesus, with Yeshua, right? I mean, if you look at the scriptures, in the, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we studied that they said that Jesus is demon-possessed, Right? I mean, just a few chat, a few uh, lessons before, they called Jesus a deceiver, 
right? They say he's a deceiver. Well, who's a deceiver? Satan is. So they refer to Jesus as Satan, as demon-possessed, right? But now they're going to say, teacher, right? See, all they're trying to do is discredit him in front of the people, in front of the crowds. See, they weren't interested in the spiritual condition of this woman, right? They really weren't interested in the real law, if you really look at it. Now, why do I say that? Well, look what the scripture tells us, right? The scripture says this. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So she's caught in the act of adultery. So obviously, there's a man involved in this, right, with her. But they only bring her in. You see, if a woman commits adultery or vice versa, a man commits adultery, both of them are guilty according to the law of Moses, according to the law, according to the Torah, right? So, so both of these people should have been brought to Jesus, not just this woman. If they're really going to have a trial, but the man's nowhere to be found. You see, this woman probably happened as this. This woman probably had like a bad reputation in the community. And here she, here she is again. She's caught in the act of adultery, right? So she's guilty. But they really weren't concerned with justice because if they would, they would have bring both of them in, right? They're utilizing the commandments of God, right? For their own purposes. This is how they acted. This is what they did. They just would pick and choose, right? In order to serve them in order to benefit their purpose, right? Their M.O., you can say. And what was their purpose? This whole time was to discredit Jesus, was to have people believe that he was a deceiver, that for people to quit following Jesus. That was their whole purpose. They were trying to arrest Jesus. Look what they say in verse 5. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? But you see, this is not true what they say. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. It's partially true, but it's not all true. The law stated that both the man and the woman, if found guilty of the act, should be stoned. How do I know that? Look at Leviticus 20.10. Leviticus 20.10 states this. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adult and the adulteress are to be put to death. Deuteronomy 22.22 also says this. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel, the, the, the scripture tells us. But here, it says woman or women in this case. Now, what is this to show us, right? It's to show us that this goes against kingdom character. This shows that they went after this woman who had a bad reputation just to shame her in public. But again, where's the man? So they're using this woman to exploit her, right? For their own purposes, you can say. So here's the message for us. That when someone isn't kingdom-minded, when someone isn't walking in biblical truth, most of the time... They're going to have an oppressive or shameful attitude towards women. Let me give you a couple examples, right? If a man physically or verbally abuses a woman constantly, right? I mean, that's not walking in the spirit, right? 
You can say that's in the flesh. You can sort of say that's sort of demon-possessed, right? Another example of that is, look in Islam. How do men treat women in Islam? Like dirt, like trash. I'm just going to call it like it is. It's wicked. It's evil, right? Now, when you look at the Bible, especially if you look at the New Testament and you study the New Testament, what does the Bible do? What does the New Testament do? It elevates women. Now, it doesn't mean that women should be teachers over men in the house of God, right? No, absolutely not. The Bible tells us that they can't. 1 Timothy 2.12. This is what it says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 also says this. The women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now we're talking about over men, over pastors, right? Over priests and so forth. Now the Bible does tell us that women can teach other women and women can teach children. The Bible does say that, right? But they are not to pastor or teach over man. See, men are called to be the spiritual leaders, right? That's how God ordained us, right? But as spiritual leaders, we're called to lift up women to treat them as more of a precious vessel. See, a man, a husband, is to lay down his life for his wife, amen? But what we see here from these Pharisees, right, is totally opposite from what I just stated. These religious leaders, they aren't elevating women. Not this woman, but they shaming her. They shaming this woman. Now look what they say. Now, what do you say? So they ask Jesus a question. They want Jesus' opinion. So really, what is going on here is this. Well, first off, let me be very honest with you, right? At this time when this is taking place, the stoning of people was very seldom done. See, they were very, very lenient with this law. But now all of a sudden, right, in this situation, they're going to execute the law. But the man's not even present. <laughs> Remember, if they committed adultery, both had to be there. Both were executed. Both were stoned to death. You see, they wanted to see if Jesus was going to follow the law. If Jesus was going to follow the Torah. But really, when you look at it, they're not following the law. They're not following the truth. They're not following the Torah. Verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Look what the first part of that text says. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. Now, this is exactly what they wanted. See, they weren't concerned with the violation of the law. Right? In this case, committing adultery. They weren't concerned about justice. 
They weren't concerned about the truth. They weren't concerned about the law. They just needed something to accuse or discredit Jesus in order to tell the people that he's not who he says he is, right? That, that they can't trust him, that they can't listen to him. But look what Jesus did. Jesus bent down and he started to ride on the ground with his finger. Now remember, in the Gospel of John, John always refers back to the Old Testament writings. And he reveals the Old Testament writings in his Gospel right here. And if you go back to the book of Exodus, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, he received the Ten Commandments, if you remember, on tablets of stone. You can say cement, right? That's what you can say. And those commandments, if you remember, when we studied the book of Exodus, was written by the finger of God, God himself. Now remember, Jesus is the son of God, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. So when the scripture tells us here that Jesus stooped down and he begins riding on the ground, this is to show us who he really is. He's revealing himself to us that he is God. Amen. Now, the scripture doesn't say what he wrote, right? But there's a lot of scholars that say he was writing the Ten Commandments, right? To show that he was God. That there's some scholars and some people say that he was writing all the names of the men that were there who had committed adultery. There's some scholars that, 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 that think and believe that he was writing down the sins of all the accusers. But yet there's some scholars that really believe that he was writing the name of the woman's partner. There's some scholars believe that, that he was writing down all the names of the people in the crowds, including the religious leaders who had committed adultery, right? See, we just don't know what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. God never reveals that to us, right? So what people really should be asking, because you always should go back to Scripture, is where can we find evidence of the writing in the dust in the Scripture, right? And you find that in Jeremiah 17, 13. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel and all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water, right? It's saying right here, this is talking about sin, not knowing God. And here's Jesus. And if you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. You got to have a relationship with Jesus because if you don't, when you die, you're going to hell <laughs> because you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, right? See, when a person dies, if a person is saved, then that person's going to be raptured up because the Bible tells us, right, that the dead that are alive with Christ, right, they're going to be raised. It's full of dust, bones in the grave, maybe just ashes, right? And what happens at the rapture? The believers that are dead, their body will form those ashes, right? Th that dust, them bones, right? 
that's going to form into their body and their spirit and their body will meet in the air. The Bible also tells us that those who are alive and well, right? After this happens, we'll also be raptured up in the twinkling of an eye. So is the rapture. But those that are unbelievers, you're going to be resurrected, but you're going to be resurrected right before the great white throne judgment. So everybody's going to be resurrected, the righteous and the unrighteous. The difference is the righteous are going on to live in the kingdom of heaven, which will turn into the kingdom of God. And the unrighteous, their soul goes to hell. And at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says that every tongue will confess that, that Jesus is Lord, right? Everybody will bow and bend the knee to Jesus, the King of Kings, amen? Then you're going to be cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. So just like heaven is temporary, so is hell. Because heaven turns into the kingdom of God. Hell turns into the lake of fire. So you see, the ground, going back to the scriptures, the ground at this time in Israel, remember, it's not a rainy season, right? So the ground was real, real hard. It wasn't sandy. It was more like cement, you can say. So again, when the scriptures say that Jesus bent down and he was riding on the ground, this is to show us once again his identity. It's to show us that he is God in the flesh, God among them. Remember, God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone, cement, and he gave them to Moses. And here at this time, the crown is like cement, you can say, right? So once again, he's just proving and showing to everyone, his identity, that he's God. Now remember, they're trying to entrap him, right? They're trying to discredit him. Look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, see, they kept on questioning because they wanted him to say something wrong, something that went against what they believed was against the law. He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, right? So Jesus is writing. He stands up and he says, you know, if none of you have a sin, then you just go ahead. Stone her. Stone her to death. But what a great answer, right? See, he was telling and showing them, right? That you all sin. Every one of us sin. Because we're born sinners, right? At some point in our life, we sin. And they realized this, right? They realize what Jesus just said. Because you see, we all have committed sin. We all have broken God's law. So he's telling and he's showing them, right? That you are a sinner, just like this woman. See, if you've broken one sin, you've broken them all, the Bible says, right? And some sins you might say is worse than others. But you see, in God's eyes, a sin is a sin. Think about it. And if you never repent of it, then you got to answer for that one day. And if you never repent of it, right? Remember what we said. There's only going to be righteous and holy people in the kingdom of heaven and in the kingdom of God. So you you, you got to be cleansed. There's, there's no spot. That's why you need to repent daily. 
You need to repent constantly, right? But you know, the Bible tells us in the New Covenant, right? In the New Testament, that even if you think, even if you imagine, if you look at a woman and you think about her in a sexual way, right? Then the Bible says, you too have committed adultery. See, you too are guilty of adultery. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. This is Jesus talking. This is not blight one style. Say, this is Jesus talking. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. This is Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now he says right here, speaking, he's speaking to his disciples, right? In Matthew. And he's telling them. So he's just men there. So he's referencing men. He says, if you look at a woman, but that's vice versa. If you're a woman and you look at a man in a lustful way, right? In, in, in a sexual way. He says, you have committed adultery as well, right? See, in fact, the reality is this, right? Scripture holds true right here. He's talking about both male and he's talking about what? Female, right? Now, a while back, I was listening. I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to this pastor. And he was preaching on sin. And he got onto the topic of what we study in here, what Jesus said here about adultery, right? And this pastor stated this, right? He said, you know, if someone sleeps with another person, now he was talking about boyfriend, girlfriend. That's what he was talking about, right? He wasn't talking about married. Boyfriend, girlfriend. That pastor went on to say, you already have committed adultery. Now, you might say in your mind, that's impossible because they're not married, right? But, I mean, what Jesus said right here, he's not talking to married people in, in Matthew 5, 27, 20. He's talking in general, right? He's talking in general. He's saying, if you just look lustfully at the opposite sex, right? Well, today, it, it's this world is just so perverse and just so crazy, you know, it if you just look at somebody lustfully, you can say, right? Then you've already committed adultery, right? So this pastor went on and said, right, that the reason you committed adultery because you have sinned against your future spouse. You have sinned against God, but you also sinned against your future spouse, you see? Because you see, in God's eyes, God created sex for husband and wife. And when you have sex outside of marriage, that includes before you even being married, then you've broken God's law. See, if, if, if you're having sex before marriage, right, this brings hurt. It brings hurt to God. It also brings hurt to your future spouse. Because remember, God made sex as a good thing for husband and for wife, for only the two of you. 
See, when a person is born again, right, walking in the Holy Spirit, then that person, he, he, he remembers this, right? And, and it brings shame. It, it brings sadness. It brings disgust. Because, because you not only hurt your spouse, because you cheated on him or you cheated on her, right? For having what God created just for the two of you. Because God had your spouse already picked out for you, right? Before you were born. So if you're walking in the spirit, right? You remember this, right? Because that's what the devil does. He plays on your mind. And, and you go back and, and you feel terrible. You, you feel shameful. You feel disgust. Because that was for your spouse. But more importantly, you let God down. You sinned against God. Man, when he said this, you know, it made so much sense to me. But you know, for lukewarm Christians, right? For unrighteous people, man, they don't even think about this. They can, they can care less about this. They really don't think about it, and they really don't care about it, right? But for the righteous people that's born again, right? You, you feel shameful and you feel horrible. Now notice what I said earlier. See, God created sex for marriage. God created sex for husband and wife, both male and female, right? Which leads me to this. This Pride Month deal, right? This is it's disgusting. Now, if you know the Bible, God hates pride. He hates it. See, the Bible teaches that pride is a downfall. The Bible teaches that pride, this is what's going to get most people into hell. It's pride. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm called to speak the truth of God. I'm called and anointed to speak the word of God. And I'm going to speak the truth. Right? And that's exactly what I'm going to do here. And understand, before I go any further with this, right, I have gay friends. I don't approve of what they do. I don't support what they do. I don't support this pride month ordeal, whatever you call it, right? I want you to understand that although they're gay, I love them. See, I love people, but I don't like the sin. Why? Because God doesn't like sin. And when you're reborn, right, and I'm a sinner, we all fall short of the glory of God, amen? But when you're walking in the Spirit and you sin, it convicts you. And what do you do? You repent. You ask for forgiveness, right? And you try to turn away from that and you try to get closer to God. You try to please God more, right? Now, I'm going to talk about this subject for a few minutes, right? Because it seems like the church, right? I'm talking about leaders in the church, right? Most of them don't want to touch this topic, right? They shy away from it for whatever reason, right? Maybe afraid of losing congregation, maybe afraid of losing money. I don't know what it is, right? But there's still some pastors, right? There's still some priests that talk about this. Hallelujah to them, amen, right? I have a buddy of mine that, that you know, went to school with that's a pastor, and man, he has anointing of God upon his life, right? And he kind of touched on this the other day, and praise God that he did, right? 
Because you see, he speaks the truth. And that's what we're called to do as teachers and as pastors, right? It's to speak the word of God. It's to speak the truth. But you see, it seems as though society today has accepted this, right? So it shouldn't come as a surprise to those of us who follow the truth. Because the Bible is very clear that as we continue in the end times, as we get closer to the coming of Jesus, right? The second coming. This world will be more what? Perverse. It will be more darker. It will be more what? Evil, the Bible tells us. And this is exactly, we've seen the early stages of that today. You see, if someone speaks the truth and it goes against what the world thinks or it goes against what the world says, right? Then that person right away gets attacked. That person right away gets jumped on, gets criticized, right? I mean, the thing that, that most people are, are, are going to say, I'm talking about the unrighteous acts, right? most people walking in the flesh, not the spirit, they're going to attack the person walking in the spirit that calls out the truth. And the first thing they're going to say is, why are you judging? Right? Who are you to judge? That's the first thing that comes out their mouth, right? But you see, I'm not judging. I don't hate anyone. Instead, I'm speaking the truth because God hates sin. And as... As a leader of the word, I'm going to be held accountable for that. See, pastors will be held, priests, ministers will be held accountable because God has put an anointing on our lives to preach the word of God, to preach the truth. So I'm going to preach the truth. And I'm going to call it like it is because I hate sin. Why? Because Jesus hates sin. And as true followers, right, we're, we're to love like Jesus. We are to speak like Jesus. But we also call to speak the truth and hate sin and call out sin. You see this pride month ordeal, right? It, it's straight from Satan. It's demonic. Now, why, why, why do I say that? Well, several reasons. The first is this, right? The, what colors they use? They use the colors of the rainbow. Well, if you read Genesis chapter 9, God made a covenant with Noah and with Noah's family and with this earth. Now, it's pretty long, but I just want to read Genesis 9. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13. Now, this is the word of God. Then God said to Noah, right? The, the flood had just taken place, remember, right? And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature for all generations to come. Look what he says. I have set a rainbow in the clouds and it will be a covenant between me and the earth. 
So we see that the rainbow, right, has beautiful colors, right, that was designed by God. And God gave this covenant, right, between him and every living creature on this earth to never, ever flood the earth again. Now, we know that Satan is an imposter, right? We know that Satan is a deceiver, right? See, Satan promises many things, many great and wonderful things, right? But you see, Satan never comes through because what Satan promises never turns out good. It always turns out into disaster or destruction. So Satan takes this, right? This covenant that God made, right? With Noah and his families and every living creature on this earth, right? And he uses it in society today to get followers to follow him, right? You see, the slogan that they use is all about love, not hate. So they win society over with that, right? And what society does, right? Because they're they, they not walking in the Word. Most of society's not. You might say, well, I'll go to church. That's good if you go to church, but are you in the truth of God? Or are you in the Word of God, right? Are you following the Word of God? And what society does? Most of them aren't. Most of them aren't in the Word. Most of them aren't taking that truth and applying it to real-life situations. Most of them aren't. So when they hear the word love, right, they fall for it. But you see, a true follower that's in the spirit, a true follower that's walking with Jesus, he's not deceived, she's not deceived. They're going to denounce this, right? Because clearly, it goes against the word of God. It goes against what God stands for, right? Now, if you don't think that Satan is behind this, just listen up right here, right? See, when Satan got kicked out of heaven, what got him kicked out? Pride, right? He wanted to be just like God. He wanted to be glorified. He wanted to be praised. He wanted to be worshiped, right? See, Satan was a beautiful angel, right? Named Lucifer at one time, right? The angel of worship. That's what he was called. But because pride set in, he convinced one-third of the rest of the angels in heaven to side with him. And what did God do? God had enough of them. So God kicked them out of heaven with the one-third of the angels. And now they're roaming this earth, right? The devil's here on this earth, but so are his demons. Now, there are some demons that are locked up. God locked up those demons, some of them, for the very end times, I'm talking about the seven-year tribulation period. That's when they're going to be released. But, but pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Now, I want you to understand this. What's the middle letter of sin? I. What's the middle letter of Lucifer? I. What's the middle letter of pride? I. See, this is no accident, people. This is straight demonic. This is straight from Satan. And if you support this, right, then you better repent. Because this totally goes against the word of God. It totally goes against the standards of God and what Jesus stands for. Now, again, 
I love people. I love everybody. I love believers. I love non-believers. I love Christians. I love Jews. I love, I love people. Because if you're a follower of Christ, that's what you do. You love. But you also call out sin. You call out what's untrue. You call out what goes against God's word. See, this is why we got to repent constantly, people, because we're all sinners. We're all sinners, right? But as followers of Christ, as believers of Christ, our job is to enlarge the kingdom of heaven, which, which will eventually enlarge the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go make disciples, what, throughout the world, right? Now, we might, make, we might not make disciples throughout the world, but we can make disciples right here in this community. You can make disciples in your community. You, you can make disciples at your work, right? You know, I knew, I, I knew a lady, and, and, and she had a daughter, you know, and the, and the daughter's like a sister to me, right? But this lady was spiritual, man. She was religious, but, but, but she was spiritual. She followed the truth. She followed the Word of God. She read the Word of God daily, several times a day. You see, her daughter took a turn, and her, her, her daughter ends up being gay. Well, she loved her daughter. It's her daughter. Of course she's going to love her daughter, but she never supported what her daughter did and what her daughter stood for. And it caused a rift between them. And I can understand there's some parents that, that, that your kids are, are, are gay. And you can love them. You're supposed to love them because they're your child. But if you're truly a follower of the word, if you're truly a follower of Christ, you're not going to support it. And that's what this woman did. And this woman, because she stood for Christ, she took a stand for Christ. She never supported what her daughter did, and, and, and her daughter never forgave her for that. Right? And, and, and I remember this lady was dying of cancer. She didn't have too much longer to live, and I, I reached out to her daughter because I still talk to her, right? And, and, and she knows I love her, but she knows I don't approve of what she's doing. But I love her. And I told her, you need to go see your mom. Because your mom, before long, is going to be dead. She's going to pass. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, my mom to me has been dead a long time ago. And I said, you're going to regret you saying them words. You're going to regret it one day, right? And, 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 and I pray for her every day that she changes. I do. I love her. But I don't agree with what she does. I don't agree with what she stands for. I just don't. So this woman, I guarantee you this woman's in the kingdom of God right now, in the kingdom of heaven. She's in the kingdom of heaven. She took a boldness. She took a bold stand. She's boldness for, for Christ. She's, she was bold for the word. And she lived by the word. See, the question is this. How many of us are bold like that for Christ? How many of us live for the word? Take the word and apply that to our life.
See, everyone's broken at least one law, right? And again, if you've broken one, you've broken them all, right? Just shows us that we're all sinners. Shows us that's why we need to have a close walk with Christ. Shows us why we should be in prayer daily. Shows us why that, that we need to read the truth of God and, and apply the truth of God to our lives. Look at what Jesus did right here, going back to the verse. When they kept on questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, right? See, what we see from Jesus in that statement right here, Jesus is really showing us who he really is. That he's a God of forgiveness. That he's a God of grace. That he's a God of mercy. That he's a God of compassion. See, Jesus, once again, is, is stating right here the truth. And, and, and he's showing them and he's showing us. And man, we, we all sinners. But by his grace through faith, we are saved, right? See, that's why Jesus came to this earth. It's why Jesus died a horrific death on the cross at Calvary. Was to heal us, right? To redeem us, right? To save us. Now look what Jesus did. Again, the Bible says in verse 8, he stooped down and he rolled on the ground. So we see a second time that he does this. Why? Because once again, he is showing his identity that he is God in the flesh. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So we see that these men, the religious leaders, they understood what Jesus was saying. They understood that they were all sinners. They understood that they all deserve judgment because we do. But you see, by, by God's grace and mercy and compassion and love, his forgiveness of sins, all we need to do is walk with him and repent. We saved. But Jesus got the message across to them because they all deserve judgment. So they dropped their stone and they left, starting with the oldest all the way to the youngest. And Jesus stood up and he asked the woman, where are they? Have no one condemned you, all right? Now, why is this word woman used here, you might say? Because, because some scholars really believe this, that he's referring to Eve in the book of Genesis. Remember, Adam says, this woman that you gave to me. He's speaking in a definite tense, right? So, so when he says this, right, in, in, in the same way, Jesus is dealing with the original sin right here. Genesis 3.12. It was this, the woman, some of your Bibles might say, that you gave me. Who gave me the fruit and I ate, right? This is in reference to the garden, right? When God told both Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of what? Good and evil, right? That's in the middle of the garden. You can eat of any tree, but don't eat of that one, right? Because God said if you eat of it, you surely will what? You die. This is in reference to what? Sin. And we know that sin separates us from God. And it is because of sin that God had to send His only begotten Son to this earth from the heavens to redeem humanity. 
He came into the world to deal with sin. He came to set aside what he was doing in heaven, came down as a man because of the work that he did at the cross at Calvary, right? We can have salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? So, Jesus asked this woman a question. And going back to the scripture, look what she says. She says, no, Lord. Now, she calls him Lord. That's where it's important. Because she's identifying, she's confessing that he is the Lord of Lords. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. Amen? That he's the Messiah. That's what she's saying. Look what Jesus says. Then neither do I condemn you. See, the first time he came into this world, he ain't come to judge. He came to what? He came to save. He came to forgive. Look what he says. Go now and leave your life of sin. So in no way here is he condoning sinful behavior. You know what he's saying to this woman? He's saying, stop it. What he's telling this woman is repent. He's saying, I haven't come to judge you, but I've come to save you. I've come to forgive you. I've come to convict you and to convict people and to free all of humanity from their sins. Amen. And that ends our lesson for today. We're going to be back next week. We're going to continue on in the Gospel of John in Chapter 8. Please share this podcast anyone that you feel uh, may need it. We appreciate you all tuning in. Go be, a, go, go be an inspiration. Go uplift somebody this week, people. There's, there's, a, there's a fallen world. It's a dark world out there. Just lift people up. People just need to hear maybe a word of encouragement, right? Just be, just be an encourager. We appreciate you all tuning in. We love you guys. Until next week, God bless.